So we start this brand new sermon series on John 3.16. I, I just want to give a shout out to my friend Brad Collins, who's a part of our staff, and um, he does a great job in our communications, and each week you see a little different bumper. He puts all that together for us, and he has an amazing talent. I'm so grateful for him, and he's just, once again, helped take worship to a whole new level. We're grateful for him. So um, listen, so when we think about the John 3.16, we, you know, as Ellen mentioned in her prayer, you know, we have, we memorize the words. These are um, really important part of our, our scriptures. That, um, and so um, one of the defining scriptures of the whole Bible. And, and what most people, you know, we got John 3.16 memorized, but most people don't maybe kind of reflect upon is that it's all part of a story. And uh, it's, a, it's a dialogue between, um, actually, between Nicodemus and uh, Jesus. So let me just read the story for us as we begin this together. And um, I, I just really appreciate the story. So listen to these words as we start into this series. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And then Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's room and be born? And then Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it comes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born the Spirit. And Nicodemus turned to Jesus and said, well, how can these things be? And Jesus answered to him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has ascended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You know, um, I'm using Lakato. Lakato wrote this book 10 years ago. I actually did a sermon series on it 10 years ago. He rewrote part of this book, and so he did an, uh, after 10 years, he, he came up with a, a, kind of a new rendering of it, just republished the book. It's called, um, uh, John, it's just, it's just called 316, The Numbers of Hope. And um, I, I, I love the first chapter in this book because as he refers to it, he says, this is the, the most famous conversation in the Bible. I never thought about that. The most, I mean, out of all the conversations in all the whole Bible, he calls this the most famous conversation in the whole Bible. And then I started thinking about famous conversation, because I love history. And I was thinking about, man, I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall in some of these conversations. Like, oh, the day in which um, 
Robert E. Lee had to actually concede to Ulysses S. Grant, uh, man, I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Or, or maybe the, the conversation that, um, you know, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan had with Gorbachev before he got up and said, you know, by the way, um, I, I'm going to say, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, uh, tear down these walls when he stood at Berlin Wall. And that would have been, I'd love to have been on a fly on the wall in that conversation, you know? I, I, can, I can think of lots of different conversations in American history that I, I really, I mean, there's some pretty powerful conversations. I, you know, I think about movie land, I think one of the most important conversations was where Forrest Gump sat on a park bench and had a conversation with a perfect stranger and told him a whole life story. I'd love to have heard that conversation too, right? So when I think about conversations in American history, those are all kind of important ones. But what about your own personal life? I mean, what are some of the most famous or the most important or the most defining conversations, the most important conversations in your life? I can name two or three of my, the reason why I'm giving you that kind of thought-provoking question, I'm asking you to think about that question important conversations. Because Lakeda said this is the most important, well, most famous conversation in the whole Bible. So I, I, can, I remember back in 1989, um, uh, I remember having a conversation with, with my, my wife, Donna. She was my, well, she, well, you know, it's interesting. It, it took me nine years to convince her to marry me. It only took nine years. And, and I will never forget, I actually drove, it was July 4th, so we're coming up on that anniversary. I drove from Miami, Florida, up to Lakeland, Florida, and I said, you know, Don, I just need to talk to you. And so we were on again, off again, on again, off again, on again, off again. And we did literally one night, we talked the whole night. And we finally got it all worked out. And so that was in July, and by in the December, we got married. That was, to me, that was one of the most important conversations I ever had in my life. That, that one night changed everything. Uh, the other conversation I had was one day I was talking to my, my father in 1986, and I said, Daddy, how is it that you just know, because he was a Methodist minister, how is it you just know that you're supposed to be a minister? How do you know when you're called? And my father, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that conversation. He said to me, he said, you know, Harold, I, you just know because God will make it plain to you and you won't be able to do anything but that. And when he said that, I didn't quite understand it. But about two or three weeks later, I got it. That conversation was one of the most important conversations I've ever had in my life. And then the third conversation was back in 2011. Um, I had a conversation with my district superintendent, uh, Mike Oliver. And he said, Harold, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And, and he, we got together, and he slotted a file across the table, and it was a file about you all. New Covenant. And in that conversation, he says, Harold, we have you projected to go to New Covenant and I Methodist Church, and we want you to go. We believe that you can do it. And um, that conversation profoundly changed my life because I really love this church. I'm so grateful for you all. I've been blessed to be your pastor for 11 years. That conversation changed my life. So I gave you three different conversations in my life. They're the most important conversations I've had in my life.
let me ask you that. What is, if you could reflect upon your life, what are the most important, the most famous conversations in your life? Uh, so I, I think about leading to this, this, this story today, you know, John 3.16. It's a whole story. It's this dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus is a leader of the Pharisees. And um, he comes to Jesus at night. And John, there's all this imagery in, in John. Uh, there's, there's light and darkness. Light has to do with, you know, coming to light and having an um, understanding of who God is. Um, it's connection with God. So we have this image of light. And then in darkness, there seems to be this disconnection. There's this distance. This is part of the theme in John between uh, the person and a relationship with God. So when John is telling the story, Nicodemus comes to him at night under the cloak of night. There seems to be the part of the symbolism. He's coming in the shadows. He doesn't want to be seen talking to this rabbi. So what I love about this part of the story is, if you go back and read it carefully, is that Nicodemus gives Jesus credit. He says, well, we know that you're a rabbi. We know that you're a teacher of God because you could, no one could do what you're doing. Wow, if you weren't connected with God, he gives him credit for that. And there's also this figure, that there's this there's connection that we know that you're actually like a community great, respected the community. People seem to be, see you as a great community leader. We, you had the respect of other people. So I'm gonna give you that as well. So it's almost like um, Nicodemus is inquisitive and he's giving um, Jesus some accolades. What's very interesting is that Jesus doesn't respond in the, in the same way. He, you would think that you know Nicodemus is this high ranking official and Jesus, well, you know what, thank you very much. I appreciate all that. And by the way, you're not so bad yourself. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. Matter of fact, he even says, listen, he lays it all out to him about being born again, about this relationship, about being born in the spirit. And he says, and you call yourself a leader of all the other religious establishment and you don't have a clue what I'm talking about? Really? Really? I love that. Uh, you know what else I love about this story? Uh, you know, is Nicodemus says, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, a great community leader. You know, it's as if Nicodemus thinks he knows Jesus. But the reality is, he doesn't really know him at all. I mean, here's what Jesus is trying to get him to go. He thinks he knows him. He knows him as a rabbi. He knows him as a teacher. He knows him as a great community leader. But he does not know him as Lord. And you know, here, here's my question for us. That this is the deeper theological question I'm asking for all of us today. Do you really know Jesus Christ as Lord? I mean, some of us in this room, we might, and those who are watching, some of us think, well, I know him. I, I know him as a teacher. I, I know him as a rabbi. I know him as a great person in the Bible. But do you really know him as the, the Lord 
of your life? Do you really know him as a personal savior that he walks with you and he talks with you? And he is a reflection in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds, as you continue to go day by day, week by week, year by year, until you finally reach your final last breath. Do you know him as Lord? Do you know him as savior of your life? Does the world really know Jesus? Can they bet on that? Does the really does the real world really know Jesus as Lord? That's a great question, and we all have to answer that truthfully, because that is between you and Almighty God. I, I was thinking about this 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 story today, and um, what I I love about this story is, um, I mean, Locator talks about 316. These are these, I mean, you know what I love about, all you have to just, if you've kind of raised in the Christian circle, you just say 316 and people, you don't even have to put John in front of it. These are, these are just, you just know, as Locator calls them, calls them numbers of hope. These are numbers that we can, I love this, this is part of, part of my sermon today. These are numbers that we can count on. Um, I, I, I love the idea of that. What do these numbers add up to? Okay, and, and so what? One of the things I think this is: for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We memorize that. Most of us can quote it. But but what's interesting is that I love the way Locato takes it in his in his in his book, and he breaks it down in a very simplistic way. He he says, you know, um, he loves, he gives, we believe, we live. Let me say that again. Um, he loves, he gives, we believe, we live. Can you say it with me? He loves, he gives, we believe, and we live. It's so simple, isn't it? I mean, I think that's so simple. I wish I would have thought of that. But if you look at John 3.16, those four little taglines is really at the heart of what John 3.16. So when I think about what, what are these, what's 3.16 add up to? That uh, they add up to, he loves, he gives, we believe, we live. I like numbers. I love I love numbers. I love counting. I love I love adding up numbers. I'm always I'm a number kind of guy. I, you know it's interesting. I'm that really weirdo when when I'm sitting in front of a train. I count all the cars. I actually do that until I get a little motion sickness and I have to stop. You know I I I, I count sometimes how many minutes and seconds are out at a traffic light because I'm so in, well I'm so patient. I, that's I I actually do that also. You know. When I went to my son Luke's graduation the day, I, I counted all the cheers, and I want to know, and then I counted all the people, because I had added all up, and I would count to me this way and this way. I, I actually do that to know how many people are actually graduating. I'm, that's just not, I don't know if that's actually normal, but I do that, you know? But I, I love 
counting. Um, you know, it's interesting. If you go back to the Bible, there's a lot of counting. I'm not the only one that counts. I mean, like, for example, Jesus said, well, you're going to tear down the, the, the temple, and I can rebuild it in three days. Who's counting? Jesus is counting. Um, you, you, you think about numbers in the Bible, like, for example, um, Jesus feeds the 5,000. How do we know that? Well, someone counted. Uh, Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Don't miss the detail. How do we know that? Someone counted. There are 12 disciples. There's not 11. There's not 13. There's 12. We also know there are 12 tribes of Israel. In the book of Revelation, there's the mark of the beast, 666. In the book of Revelation, there is the number of those who are going to be restored, you know, to go to heaven, 144,000. What's 12 times 12? 144. They're whole numbers. They're perfect numbers. God created the heavens and earth and created all of us, and he did it in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. We just went through Pentecost. Pentecost has to do with the number 50 has to do with the connection with the ancient tradition of the Feast of Weeks. There are seven weeks, seven days, times seven is 49. On the 50th day, they celebrated Pentecost. Somebody's always counting in the Bible. What did the numbers add up to? John 3, 316. What would they add up to this? A God loved... He gave, we believe, we live. This last week I was at men's breakfast and um, a a gentleman, um, his name was Glenn, he got up and he gave a a devotion and he talked about, I love this story, the the parable of the sower the seeds. It's also known as the parable of the soil. Um, and, and so what's very interesting, because if you go back to the parable, the sower, the seeds, there are, you know, um, the sower goes and he throws some of the seed on some of the ground and um, it's on beaten down earth. And then some of it falls in the rocks and some of it falls in the weeds and some of it falls on good soil. Matter of fact, I've got a couple of pictures. This is actually in Israel. This is a picture of what the beaten down earth looks like. That's actually, I took that picture. This is in the, in the path that does. And so this is what it looks like, in the, and this is what it looks like in spring, exact same place. Amazing what a little water will do. But it gives you a figure when Jesus gave these parables, and he was teaching in a way that he was talking about things that people could relate to. So he talked about the seed falling down. And so Glenn gave this testimony, and the essence of what he talked about was is Jesus, can Jesus count on you? And he gave this testimony about going down to Walmart. And he noticed that there was this kid who was the clerk, and his name was Gabriel. And he says to Gabriel, Gabriel, did you know your name is in the Bible? Gabriel, did you know that your name is actually a famous name? I mean, your name is connected to an angel, and the angel actually has a connection to pronouncing that Jesus was coming. And, and so Gabriel looked at him like he had two heads. 
had no idea what he was talking about. But then the gist of what Glenn shared in his testimony this last week at Men's Breakfast, what I thought was great, is he said, you know, I just took a simple little thing at Walmart and noticed the kid's name was Gabriel and I tried to help him connect and point him towards Jesus. Jesus is counting on you. Jesus is counting on me. I mean, you can't get any more clear than what Jesus, matter of fact, you know, last week was Pentecost. And Jesus says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth and even in Walmart. It's right there. <laughs> yeah, Jesus is counting on you. The numbers, what do they add up to? You know, uh, COVID has changed just about, I mean, so many things. Uh, like, for example, when we were going through COVID, um, a lot of us, like, wanted to finally kind of get out, and then we would go to restaurants. And, and what was, what we, and I, I don't know about you all, but there are several places in which I would go, and the rest, some of the restaurants weren't even open. You know why? Because they didn't have anybody who could work. Like, can you imagine going to Culver's and they, you can't get a hamburger? You go through the drive-thru and there's nobody there. It's like ghost town with tumbleweeds, right? This is what happened with COVID. So the, the landscape has changed, right? And, and, and so I think it was really interesting, the idea of, you know, things have changed a little bit, but... There was a time in which we thought we could count on people, but then we couldn't count on people because a lot of people just weren't going to work. For example, um, I thought this is a really interesting practical example of what's going on even today. We have a store car called Bargains and Blessings. Anybody heard of Bargains and Blessings? Okay, so we have a store. And so uh, between our two stores, there's a parking lot. And so the parking lot was a disaster because when it rained in the summer, it would fill up and it was, you know, it wasn't paved and it was all kind of rocky and this kind of white pasty dirt that stuck to your shoes and then all over your car and it was just a mess. So finally, several, couple, two or three years ago, I, I went to Jason McCune and I said, Jason, who's the plan, city manager, I said, can you maybe fix, can you maybe, guys, because the city owns the parking lot, can you guys fix this? So they brought in more gravel, and that didn't really do anything. So I went back and complained a little bit more. And so he finally conceded that the city of Wildwood would pay the parking lot. We thought, yes. Little did we know it was going to take about two and a half years for them to get to it. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm grateful. But this is just the way that things, COVID has changed everything. So I go to Jason the other day, and Jason says, Pastor Hill, we're, we're finally going finally to be able to get to the place to pay the parking lot. I said, great, Jason. He said, I said, how long is it going to take? He says, well, it's going to take about 90 days. I said, 90 days? He said, that's the contract that we have, 90 days. And I thought to myself, what's interesting, it's going to take them 90 days just to put a little asphalt down. It's just... And it, we're talking just this little part right here. This is it, right here. Do you realize that the villages can build you a house in three days? 
<laughs> but it's going to take 90 days. And I said, Jason, help me understand. How can it be that, you know, the villages can build a house in about three days, but it's going to take 90 days to just pay this one little bitty section of parking lot? He says, well, Pastor Harold, we have a contract, and the contractor has told us this is what it's going to take because, in essence, he doesn't know who he can count on to show up for work. 90 days. Who can you count on? You know what's interesting? You go to Walmart, and you're going to go down the aisle, I don't know, five, four, or five, six, I don't know the aisles. My, Cameron, my son, he works there at Walmart. Matter of fact, he just got off just a few minutes ago. And so I want you to know something. When you go down the aisle and you go get a can of corn at Walmart or a can of green beans or something, and you pull it off the shelf, you are counting on Cameron Hendren because he has stocked the shelf for you. Uh, who can you count on? Uh, you know, the idea of taking your membership vows, and maybe you have stood right up here, and the, when you take your membership vows, what we're seeing as a church is that we're going to count on you. After convincing my wife, after nine years to finally marry me, I stood at an altar and I said to her in my pledge and my vows to her, I said, you can count on me. In John 3.16, in this dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus, it's interesting because these, these words are profound words. They're, it's the most, according to Cato, the most famous conversation in the whole Bible. Wow. And, and what Jesus is getting at he really wants Nicodemus to hold true to these words about being born again, about being born from above, about being born of the Spirit. You know what's interesting? Um, these are numbers that we can add up, they add up to. Okay, you ready? Just in case you didn't get it the first time, or the second time, or the third time. He loved, he gave, we believe, we live. You know, um, there was a football player who made John 3.16 really famous. His name is Tim Tebow. He, he wore those little eye patches, right? You know, a lot of people had no clue what John 3.16, and then they saw Tim Tebow play football. And then they had the other, and he was trying to point people to Jesus. It's interesting that Tim Tebow had a game one day. Uh, you know, he was uh, uh, more successful in college football, but then he was in professional football. He went and played for the Denver Broncos. And what's interesting, he had a game um, leading into the playoffs in his career that was very interesting because um, uh, he passed for 316 yards. And then his passer completion ratio, he was it was uh, 31.6 yards for that game. What's also very interesting is that he was, going into the fourth quarter, he was three for 16. What was also very interesting is that when they did, went into the fourth quarter of that game, the um, TV ratings was 31.6. Go figure. John 3, 16. 
But you know what's also interesting? Before there was Tim Tebow, another person, you might remember this guy in the 70s and 80s. He was, named, he was also known as the Rainbow Man or the Rock and Rollin' Stewart. And here's a picture of him. He was that guy. He was always wearing that T-shirt, John 316. He had all the best. He had some of the best tickets in sports in 70s and 80s. And he was always holding up the sign, John 316, right? And what's very interesting, I read about him this last week, is that um, he just really wanted to be famous. So he put on this big hairdo this wig with rainbow and it was really colorful and he always ended up on tv and people like oh but what was really interesting is it really wasn't around john three sixteen. it was more about him and what i wrote this this week a little quote it was more of a spectacle than pointing to the one that was truly spectacular there's a difference when Jesus Christ really is the Lord of your life. My son, Karen, my son Logan, or George, which kid do I have? I got five. Okay. Last night I was having a conversation with his son, Jordan, who was sitting right here. He heard my sermon. Matter of fact, he says, Dad, that was a pretty good sermon. I thought, well, thanks, Jordan. I appreciate that. And, and, and he's a math teacher. He teaches sixth grade algebra. Pray for him. And so we were talking about math. You know, I, I really love math. And, and so um, what's very interesting is that um, what I found when it comes to math is that um, an algebra, um, it, it builds on itself. And, and so sometimes when you're doing an algebra problem, what's very interesting is that you can get it right on the front end, and then you, maybe you miss a number or a negative or a plus sign or a a quote or bracket and then it throws off the rest of the number until you get to the point and when you get to the end of the problem you got the wrong answer but you it, but it, but you had it right on the front end but you didn't get it right on the back end because you lost something along the way and i said do you jordan do you give still partial credit and he's oh yeah dan I, I actually i do he laid it all out and he told me exactly how he does and he says as long as the child or the young person can show to me that they actually understand how to do the problem even though they got the wrong answer because they got lost i, I still give them partial credit i, I love math teachers that offer grace right <laughs> and, and so I, I just think that's a really great imagery when it comes to a metaphor for our lives. So even if we completely blow it on the front end of life, there is still hope and grace on the back end. Even when we fail miserably, one thing that we can count on with Christ is grace. Can I be meant on that? I love that. I also love my wife as a teacher at the middle school, I mean, over here at the Villages Charter School. And, and, they, and I love this picture, this I found this on the internet, this kid doing new math. That was me as a kid, you know? <laughs> new math. I, I was thinking, what's wrong with the old math, right? But there's new math. And, and so when I, I think about, there's a whole new way of doing math, but when you think about what do these numbers really add up to when you do the math with 316? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who have believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, Jesus, 
gives us really not new math, but he gives us new theology. And, and when Jesus gives us, when he talks about being born again with Nicodemus, what Jesus is saying to him, and out of all the words that Jesus chose in the Aramaic, he uses um, a different word that has actually a double meaning. So it has not only about being born again, but it also has everything to do with being born from above. And I love that. In other words, when you think about the power of Jesus and as he puts it all in perspective, he is saying that he is a brand new way that ultimately points towards a relationship with Almighty God. That's what Jesus is talking about. Because when, when you're being born again, you get new birth. And new birth has a new access to God, and that is coming through Jesus Christ. Born again. So I close with this. I, I, I love, um, I, I should appreciate, for God, and we're gonna teach more. I hope that y'all come back. Have you learned something new today? I mean, this is, this is okay. So we're, so here's, here, and I, I can't wait to be able to, I got three more weeks to get all this ironed out. So, um, and I got so much more to teach. So what I think, I'm gonna close with this that because we're, we're beginning, and so I love the idea of the for God, okay? And for God so loved, okay? And, and so what's very interesting about the word love, we use the word love loosely. I love Moose Track ice cream. I love new Nike running shoes. I love going to the movies a couple of weeks ago and saw Top Gun, Maverick, ooh. I love that movie, loved it. But what's very interesting, if you go back and look at the relationship between God and the children of Israel, oh man, the word love is not used loosely. So um, what's very interesting, Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter, the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. And then and the, and the, the people respond, the Lord binds himself to his people. And, and the word binds there means tethered. And then the Bible goes on in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, God wasn't attracted to you and didn't choose you because you were big and important. No, <laughs> the fact is there was almost nothing to you. He did it out of sheer love keeping the promise he made to your ancestors, God stepped in mightily and bought you back of that world of slavery, freed you from the iron grip of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know this, God, your God, is a God indeed, a God you can depend on. He keeps his covenant of loyal love with those who love him and observe his commandments for a thousand generations. Whew. I love the idea that I am tethered to God. Wow. So here's what I want you to think about. Do you love him? Do you feel tethered to God today. Evidently, you know what? 
Nicodemus finally got there. Do you realize he finally got there? He finally got to the place, I really believe, that he realized that Jesus Christ was the Lord of his life. How do we know that? Because it was him and Joseph of Arimathea who had the boldness and the guts to go to Pontius Pilate and say, Pilate, can we have Jesus' body? Because we want to make sure he gets a decent burial. Oh. Tethered to Jesus. Is he really the Lord of your life? He can be. Today. Today.